Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. I hope you feel welcome. You know, there's a feeling that never leaves. Just picture this. You're the new kid. You got your lunch tray and no place to sit. Life can be like that. We don't want you to feel like that here. This is a place where you're welcome. Because really, the maker of the feast is Jesus. And the underlying thought that he brings is, come to me. So whatever... uh, Whatever feelings you may have, we want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel special to be here. We're glad you're here. Speaking of welcome, uh, Brenda and I would just like to say a word. We're kind of newbies, and uh, you guys have been so so kind to us. We feel so welcome. I said, um, uh, I'm going to get the right thumb. So I I said, Sam, you want me to teach, but what are they going to do with old people? They said, no, you'll be a novelty. Why don't you come? Seriously, we're just so glad to be here. We're very thankful for the way you've opened your heart toward us. Uh, This morning and this evening, I'm very excited to be in Chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians. Uh, The Word of God is alive and power. Full. It is useful, and it speaks. And tonight, more than anything else, I want to get out of the way of Scripture and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. I want us to have the confidence that what we're saying, what we're reading, is the Word of God. It's the thought of God. We can take it right to the bank. We're living life every day out there on the street, and slogans and sayings are not going to get us from point A to point B. We need to have the power of God, which is found in the Word of God. You with me so far? So we have agreement. So the uh, Sam said our theme is unity in the first couple of chapters. Okay, unity, all right. And uh, he kind of confused me, though, with his second text. He said, just a reminder, when you're teaching in First Californians... I thought it was First Corinthians. Have I been away so long that things have changed? No, it's First Corinthians. Although <clears throat> we understand more what the First Corinthians uh, was written to today than we did thirty years ago. I promise you. Well, let's start by just reading. Let's read the second chapter. Now, Sam, in his teaching the last time, included the first two verses, and uh, I thought it'd be a great place for us to start. It'll be a little bit of a review as we go into the rest of the chapter. Okay, here we go. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? 
so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, who, by the way, are doomed to pass away. But as a contrast, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, that is, the things that God has prepared, these things God revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit teaches, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, however, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. On the other hand, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we brothers and sisters, have the mind of Christ. What a statement. Wait till we get there. It's going to explode. You're kidding me. Okay, so before we go here, if you don't mind, I'd like to hold a couple of truths to be self-evident. I think these are the kind of things that help form our approach to Scripture. Number one, God disclosed himself. He announced himself. And I know what you're thinking. Wow, that's deep. I think we can hang with this guy. There's more to it. God disclosed himself with a view to you and I understanding what he's saying. Okay? Grab a hold of that because we're going to go into 1 Corinthians here and we want to have the confidence, we want to have the background when we look each other in the eye, and we say, do you know what God is speaking to you? He's not speaking to the the mighty men, the mighty women. He's not speaking to the monasteries. He's speaking to you and me. We're on the street, living on the street, and God says, I want you to know what I'm saying. I want the common man to know who I am. I want you to know not only who I am, but who what I've done. I want you to be able to own it. I want you to be able to walk in it. You see how important that is for us to remind each other of these things? So when we talk about unity, unity is like faith. It has to have an object. It's not the same thing as camaraderie. Camaraderie can be built around loving the Dodgers. It's mistaken loyalty, I promise you. But nonetheless, it can happen. Camaraderie can be built around loving the Giants. And there are always more Giant fans than Dodger fans because of a second principle. Misery loves company. 
Well, you see what I'm talking about. There's all kinds of cool things where we have relationship, we have camaraderie, but when we talk about unity, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is looking each other in the eye and say, this is the revelation of God for you and me, and we can count on it. I listened to uh, Jake's message. I was not here last week. I listened to Jake's message today. I, my, my question to Jake, is everybody, is everybody around here a preacher for crying out loud? Were you here last week? He's talking about fellowship. Okay, I can't use the word fellowship. That's where we're going with unity. You know, everybody brings a little baggage from their youth. And uh, when I was eight or nine years old, I was a part of a church startup. And so going to church was like going to a family gathering. It was the most fun day of the week. We all knew each other. We ate together. We worked together. We built a church building together. I mean, we were on fire. We loved it. But some of us were not too bright. And I'm listening, and I love the teachers. Young man, I'm nine years old, ten years old. And... Somebody said, fellowship is not two fellows in the ship. And, and I'm, I missed the negative connotation. And so for years, I thought fellowship was two fellows in a ship. And in my mind, I'd pictured two guys in a rowboat at Shaver Lake fishing for trout. And I thought, what a wonderful thing this is, this fellowship. Man, you can't get any better than this. But what we're talking about is unity. Like when we have faith... Faith has an object. And, and we've all heard this and probably sometimes have said it. Somebody's in trouble. They're having a hard time. And the guys will say to each other, hey, got to keep the faith, baby. Just got to keep the faith. It means absolutely nothing. But it somewhat encourages. And the girls will say to each other, honey, we have to have faith. We have to have faith. Well, that kind of faith doesn't get us anywhere. The kind of faith we have is focused right on Jesus Christ, who is the good news. The good news is not about Jesus. The benefits are not outside Jesus. Everything is right there in Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He is the good news. He is the object, the receiver of our faith. And unity is much the same way. We're not just looking for something where we... uh get along, you know, likes and dislikes. We like fruit salad. It's a good thing. Some of those didn't sound so good, but no offense. But you see, that's not the basis of unity. The unity is the fact that I have the Spirit of God alive in me, and you do too. The Spirit of God is alive in you and in me, and there's a love relationship there. You know, this, this is, let me back up, slow down. We're not talking about neat little sayings that'll go in a Hallmark card. We're talking about the truth. You and I have the Spirit of God alive in us if our faith is in Jesus Christ. And that is the basis of a oneness. Okay. So in building... our basis for unity. God has revealed himself, number one, very closely to that. He's revealed himself to you. He revealed himself to the Corinthians. The third thing, and then we'll go into the text. 
He is meant to be understood. Alexander was the he was the heavy hitter, first century, a little before. Greek was everywhere. The Greek language was everywhere. So Alexander comes out of the Greek city states, and all of a sudden, instead of being beat up year after year after year, they're conquerors. And he develops the Greek language so that all these people can communicate. And under God's sovereign providence, it's taken everywhere. And guess what? The New Testament is delivered right in the middle of a language that went everybody everywhere and that everyone understood. So when we open up, how could we open up 1 Corinthians 2? How could we open it up without the confidence that God is talking to us? And he's not talking to us in riddles. He wants us to understand. Okay, so to start with, I'm going to grab two verses that Sam uh, taught on the last time he was here, and it's a great review, verses 1 and 2. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I excited, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, so where were our Corinthian brothers and sisters living? They were living in a state of discord. They had petty grievances with each other. They were trying to decide who's the greatest. And so Paul has got at least a two-point mission here. He's got a two-point mission. The first one is, okay, any of you like the English crime series on TV? English. English movies. They're great, aren't they? Okay, the rest of you. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. We're supposed to get along. So if you watch any kind of a crime mystery, the big thing is when you hit the crime scene, you don't mess with it. You don't walk all over, but you don't leave your fingerprints everywhere. You don't, they want the pure crime scene, not the one you've destroyed. And so when Paul comes to the Corinthians, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I didn't even want to leave a fingerprint on this message. I didn't want there to be any confusion. Because if we're talking about biblical unity, how can we have unity if I'm drawing attention to myself? And so to be an example to you, I came humbly. I thought, I want your confidence to be in the power of God. And I gave the message, and God was powerful. Okay, so he's powerful today. Let's just do a side note. So we don't have miracles today like they did in the first century. We don't have the same kind, but we have miracles. Let me tell you, I'm a miracle. I'm a walking miracle. In order for me to change my life, God had to be powerful. In in order for him to break my heart and to bring me into fellowship with him. A humble, obedient fellowship, it took a miracle. You didn't get there through how-to classes. You didn't get there through counseling. God came into my life and said, son, you're never going to be the same again. Now you may look at me and say, there's quite a bit of work left. Well, thank you for those words. And it's true. But I've got confidence. My wife was reminding me of a song that we both love from the past. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. 
And so I don't want us to disregard the fact that we are living in an era when the power of God is here, it's alive, and it's life-changing. Okay? We're out there on the street, and you wonder, why do I keep emphasizing that? Because in the soul, in my soul, I don't want my Christian brothers and sisters to feel second-rate after what Jesus has done. I don't want us walking around with guilt. I don't want us hanging our head because his, com- his salvation is complete. It's absolutely complete. Okay. In the beginning of this letter, and, and I, I confess I love this, and because I do, you have to put up with it. So here's Paul writing to people who are just, oh, a couple of bricks short of a load. They're just, things aren't working out. Everybody knows they're the worst church in in first century Christianity. You know, so if they lived, if they lived at my house where I grew up, on Saturdays it was our custom. We lived on a kind of small ranch, and so we'd work out there fencing and whatever. And a custom on Saturday was, my dad would do dinner. He liked to make dinner, and it would usually be breakfast for dinner. That was his favorite. So we're out there basically working hard, and so I could get one of two announcements when dinner was ready. If my little brother came out, he'd say, Stan, dinner's ready. You better get in here or else. My little sister would come out. She'd say, Stan, dad's got dinner ready and there's all-you-can-eat bacon. See the difference between the good news and the bad news? Okay, we do not want to project Christianity as, you better get in here or else. We don't have that authority. Uh, The Father said about Jesus, he didn't come here to condemn the world. The world's already thoroughly condemned. That's already been taken care of. What Jesus came here was to rescue those that are condemned, to seek and to save the ones that are lost. We don't want to color that with any kind of legally binding rhetoric because we have some innate pride about our accomplishments. When I'm on your case about what you should be doing, it's because I have a satisfaction on what I'm doing. I'm never going to beat you up on stuff that I can't do. I pick the stuff I think I'm pretty good at and call you to a higher standard. You see, that's not the call, that's not the message. That's not the good news. Moving on. So in verse 3, look at, let's read verse 3 and 4 together, because it takes that same thought, and it spills over, and we can finish the double meaning. And when I was with you, I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your spirit might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, the first reason, and, and there may be many, but the first reason that Paul handled himself the way he did was so that he would not impugn the message of Christ, that he wouldn't interject himself, his personality, his gift, his horsepower, whatever, on the message. 
And so that when people came to Jesus Christ, their confidence would be in the message of Christ and the power of God. The second reason I think that Paul did this is very practical for you and I. So you've got a church family that's having trouble saying, well, essentially, I've thought about it, and I'm better than you. You don't say it like that. You have sneaky ways of saying it. But that's what we say. I'm better than you. And so Paul gives you an example. Remember, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so he says in his actions and the way he acted, he said, I am divesting myself of anything that belongs to me or that could be attributed to me because I want to promote unity that is dominated by the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so if I'm talking to you about realistic unity, I've got to start with the fact that I get out of the way. Jesus is Lord and I'm not. Peter said it in a way, I don't know how you can improve on it. He says, brothers, if anyone speaks, let him speak the words of God. If anybody serves, let him serve on the power and the strength that God supplies so that when we're done, there's only one person that can get credit. God. And so the essence of unity and heart and soul change in Corinth was not let's have some therapy sessions and figure out how to treat each other better. It's going to, the essence of unity is I need to get out of the driver's seat. I need to get off of the throne and I need to promote you. That's the essence, essence of unity. So when Jesus come, I didn't, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve to be a ransom for many. And so the essence of a real spirit-filled unity is when I put you ahead of me, when you put me ahead of you. When our love for each other gets feet and walks. Paul says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and trembling. Well, you know, if you've read Paul, he's not exactly the mouse of the house. You know, he's taught under Gamaliel. He's one of the top Pharisees. He led the persecution of Christians. This is a man who in the flesh has horsepower. So when he says, I come in weakness, he's not saying, oh, I just don't know what I'm doing. I think it's reasonable to say, when I come in weakness, in the world's eyes, the message is weak. In the first chapter, it says, it's by the foolishness of preaching. And boy, we've heard that interpreted wrong for a long time. It's not foolish preachers. It's not foolish preaching. It's the foolishness of the message that salvation comes by placing your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And to the world system, that's completely foolish. And it's weak. And so Paul comes and he says, I come with fear and trembling. It's like he uses the same kind of language when he says, work out your salvation or take your salvation to its intended inclusion, maturity, wholeness, and do it with fear and trembling. Be something, be very concerned about how you do it. Make it a priority. But it's not talking about weakness like we're talking about weakness. Paul is making every effort to take himself out of the picture and put Jesus smack dab in the middle for our sake. My speech and message 
were not in plausible words of wisdom. How many of you have plausible in your translation? Okay, there'll be extra credit for you. Anybody else? Oh, that's great. Yeah, there's going to be extra credit all the way around. Plausible. Let me put it into context. Every kid is a jailhouse attorney. I was jailhouse attorney. And so something you learn early on is plausible deniability. You know you're guilty of sin, but you want to paint a picture that seems reasonable to project your innocence. And so that is a beautiful way of talking what saying what Paul's trying to say in this sentence. Plausible. In other words, I didn't come with you with a sleight of hand. I was not here to manipulate you the way I wanted you to go. Everything was above board. And the whole reason for this, not the whole reason, one good reason, is that when we're living life, there's days when it can be hard. And we're not going to get from point A to B with some wise sayings. We're going to need the power of God. And so what we want to do when we're talking about unity here tonight, we look each other in the eye and we say, Jesus Christ is the basis of our unity. He's the basis of our trust. He's the one that holds us together. It wasn't Paul. Paul's a great teacher. I I get that. But he says, it's not me. I'm just a table waiter. The message is from the Father. Okay, let's move on. So in verse 6, he says, Young, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. In other words, we're not against wisdom. It's not wisdom that's our problem. It's the world's wisdom that's our problem. If you want to understand what the world's wisdom looks like, you're living in a perfect time in history where more and more decisions are made on a wisdom that has no wisdom at all. And you're looking and decisions are made, directions are chosen that make no sense whatsoever. And you, and you look at it and you think, what's left to do? If we can't figure out that that's a bad decision, we're in trouble. But one of the things that we want to take away from these verses And one of the things I like to do, I have a mental picture of taking truth as it pops up, and it's like a foundational brick. And one of the foundational bricks from our study this evening is the world does not understand God's wisdom. And we put these things, they're easy to see, it's easy to agree, and they become foundational to study and thinking about more complex ideas. So we take these things and we put them in that foundation faithfully and say, I believe it. I give myself to it. Yet among the mature, we impart a wisdom, though it's not a wisdom of this age, and it's not the wisdom of the rulers of this this age, who, by the way, are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age... Got it. They didn't understand. If they had understood this, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory, but as it is written, 
And then here's a passage that's mentioned in the Old Testament. No eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. When we read that, we immediately think of heaven. Because we've heard that. Where Jesus says, you can't imagine the kind of place I'm building. I mean, in the human realm, you've not even been able to imagine it. That's not what God is saying here. What God is saying is, the salvation that I've prepared for you right now. In the Old Testament, writers and prophets saw glimpses of it. And they said, and it was revealed to them that the things that were coming didn't belong to them. It's coming. Can you imagine if you're living under the law and the Holy Spirit's moving on you and you're writing that someday I'm going to write my truth, my ways on your heart. It's going to be the natural expression of your life. Instead of being under the burden of this law, you're going to be moved by the power of God. And so theologians call it a mystery, the mystery of God. I kind of like secret. Our Heavenly Father had a secret. Now, there's some of you uh, uh, that are like me. I'm the world's worst secret keeper. If I get a gift for someone, particularly Brenda, I get it. Once I've got it, it's only a matter of time before I give it to her. I can't wait. I just can't wait. I want her to have it. And so you, you just get in our minds, our Heavenly Father, before the foundations of the world, the Trinity is in conference. And it's the Father who says, we need to save these people. And they agree 100%, but somebody's going to have to go. Somebody's going to have to give the life, and Jesus says, it's me. I'm the one. I'm going. And so God has the package wrapped. He knows that forgiveness. Can you imagine this? To be forgiven for everything you've ever done, are doing, and will do, to be justified judiciously in the sight of God, not just pardoned, but forgiven, paid for, legitimately, legally paid for, so nobody can come back on you. And so the Father has this gift, this secret. And during time, the prophets were around, and they were like me and my brothers and sisters at Christmas. We didn't dare unwrap the whole gift, but we're tearing at the corners. Don't look at me like you've never done that. So we're tearing at the corners. We want to see what's there. And so the authors of the New Testament, they were tearing it back. Something special's here. And then it's revealed. And so the writers of the New Testament said, we used to have the prophets, wonderful thing, but now we have a son. Jesus is exegeting God. You've never seen God at any time, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here's the secret, here's the mystery, you can be forgiven. The secret is not, if you live right, go to church, give, and respectful to elders, particularly respectful to elders, things will be well with you. No, if you want to be judiciously in the heaven's courts, declared free and clear, if you want all the decrees that have been piling up on you, all the little notes of things you've done, speeding tickets, parking tickets, all the tickets of life, 
And Paul told the Colossians, Jesus took that and they nailed it right to the cross. And everything we've ever done was taken care of right there. He said, everything that God can be, Jesus is. Don't let anybody challenge your faith. Don't let anybody challenge your position in Christ. You're not second rate in any way. Everything that God can be, Jesus is, and it's in him that you've been made complete. Now these things, the mystery, the secret, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things. He searches everything, even the depths of God. Okay, so here's a principle. This is part of our building block. This is kind of a difficult passage, have you noticed? There's a lot of spirit and searching and knowing, and you know, I, I think it takes a little bit of work to work through it. But here's one of the bricks of the foundation of our thinking, is that the Spirit of God searches everything. So no one understands the Spirit of God or the things of God without the Spirit of God. And then Paul goes on, he said, like for a person, a person's thought, who can know it except the spirit of that person? Sometimes we think we know. I was raised one of five, and before the little guy came, there was four of us, partners in crime. And... It was all I could do to keep my little brothers and sisters on the straight and narrow. I must tell you honestly. I was just by the book guy. So when we came into trouble, mom would call, Stanley, what have you done? I said, we haven't done anything. We're like lambs. And so my brother and sister and a little sister were standing there and thinking, there are rules that apply. There's no way that she can know what we've done. And if she doesn't know, she doesn't have the right to accuse. That's why I said, jailhouse lawyer, we had, our, we had our defense all lined up. And so she said, I know what you've done. I said, no, you don't. I said it respectfully. I don't think so, Mommy. And she says, I know what you've done. And we said, how? A little bird told me, go to your rooms. And my brothers and sisters and I were wide-eyed. We went to our rooms, shut the door. We said, those dirty little birds are telling her everything. We're cooked. They're looking right in our heart. They're telling her everything. And so it's a very simple thing that Paul is saying. Nobody knows what's in my heart except my spirit. And he says, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Is that good news yet? And here's the point, is that God intends for you and I take it off a pedestal, put it into life where we're living. Keep in mind, this is the Corinthians that we're matching up with. And when we see how God treats the Corinthians, one snooze. <laughs> okay. One, hopefully it's not a three-minute job. So the Corinthians are in trouble. We know about that. But when Paul opens the letter, he says, I have been chosen by God, called by God to write to you. Here's the message, grace and peace. 
not you're in trouble, get out of Dodge. You got 24 hours to square away before fire from heaven falls. And then he goes on. He said, I want you to know that you have everything you need, everything you need to be firmly in Christ. You're not lacking in another way. And another thing, not only do you have everything you need to be firmly in Christ, you have everything you need in your life to be useful for Christ. Okay, so he's writing to us. We're not so sophisticated that we don't understand what it means like to feel sinful and dirty. We get it. I sure get it. How are you going to use me? How are you going to work in my life? Don't you know how, who I am? And so his message, his first message, the opening shot to the Corinthians is, you're everything you can be in Jesus You've got problems up to here, but you're not deficit. There's no deficit in any way in your relationship with me. We're square. And here's a principle that I want us to get before this timer goes off. God's call to performance is always based on provision. When Paul writes, he never starts out, chapter 1, verse 1, get your carcass in gear. You're Christians for crying out loud. Let me give you a list of what you ought to be doing. No, he doesn't do that. He says, let me, let me hold a couple of things up to the light so you can see them. God the Father gave the Holy Spirit to you as a deposit so that you would know for sure he's going to complete the transaction. There's a threat. You mean no matter what I do, God's taking me to heaven? He's going to be my father? Yeah. Where's Sawyer? Hey, sir, fellow real estate agent, when you're dealing with property, the bigger the deposit, the more secure the deal. So you can imagine this? So basically, let me just say this in a way where God can encourage your heart. I know there's trouble out there. I know some of you are feeling bad. But you don't need to feel worse. Feeling worse is not going to cure. What's going to cure our heart is for the Holy Spirit to come and say, I know you're, you fell. I know you're falling. But just in case you haven't known, I'm the deposit. God is no way going backwards on this deal. You're mine. Let's just get that out of the way. If we don't get that out of the way, we'll never get to being transformed because we'll be working in the flesh trying to qualify ourselves. And so wherever we go to the scripture, if we don't see the provision of God, we're going to miss it. Our performance, our ability to live a certain way is based 100% on what he's doing. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying let go, let God. You know, Peter says, make every effort. Be in a hurry to add excellence to so great a salvation. So there's a call there, no question about it. But what I'm trying to do is give us hope in the reality of living in a fallen world, which is going the exact opposite that we are. And we're out there in the street. We're not in the monastery. And this is the way I feel. I'm out there on the street. I'm getting dirty every day. Stuff is splashing up against me. I don't feel holy. I don't feel like I'm somebody that God can love. And so I have to focus my faith into the object, the truth. 
And that is the fact that he's done the work, and he's the one that supplies. Okay. The natural man does not accept, verse 14, just look at this. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Stop right there. Just put a brick right there. That is a foundational thought. If we're out there trying to convince the world of godly wisdom, if we're trying to make a point based on Scripture, it's not going to work. They don't have the Spirit of God. They're not going to understand the things of God. That does not mean that they're inept or uneducated. It just means they don't understand spiritual things. Okay? I want to get to the punchline before the buzzer goes off. Because it's unbelievable. The natural person does not accept the things of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, and that's not hoity-toity, that's the person in Christ, that's you and me, in whatever state he finds us. The spiritual person is able to discern all things, but he himself is not judged. Because who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Okay, there's the question. Here's the bombshell. And this is why I put it, want to put it in context. We're talking about the Corinthians. They are not the superstars of Christianity. These people do not have the 10-year Sunday school pen. Okay? They are not superstars. And yet Paul makes this unbelievable statement. But as opposed to the natural man, we have the mind of Christ. You've got to be kidding me. How can we just say that? How can we not stop and savor that and ask the question, you've got to be kidding me. I have the mind of Christ. My ability to understand spiritual things is not because I'm smart. It's not because I try harder. It's because the Spirit of God is in me teaching me. And then Paul has the audacity to tell these Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. And not only does he say that, but he reminds them at the beginning of the letter, just in case you forget, God chose me to speak for him. So when I'm telling you these things, you can take it to the spiritual bank. This is God speaking. You've been given the mind of Christ. This is time to take that spiritual truth, that brick, and put it in the foundation. We're not going to understand it all today. We're not maybe going to understand it all in one lifetime. But the truth is there nonetheless. The confidence that we have is not that we're going to figure this out, but that we've been given the mind of Christ to understand spiritual things. And here's the basis of unity. Real unity is having the mind of Christ submitting to the mind of Christ. Not only hearing it and understanding it, but obeying it. And when we obey him, when we obey him this way, when we love him this way, when we have unity this way, guess what? We have love this way. We have unity this way. We have peace this way. It's the way God intended. So with that, I'm going to stop and just pray that God would take these things that are difficult to understand and apply them in the depths of our soul where we can be encouraged. 
and I realize there's no prize for this, but we beat the buzzer. Let me pray. Father, <clears throat> Father, sometimes when we get into your word, not everything falls into place. And even though we've been given the capacity to understand you by the presence of the Spirit, we don't always see and understand everything all at once. We don't see it and understand it at the same time. But we're taking comfort. I'm particularly taking comfort in this, that you purposed in your heart, to use an anthropomorphic term, you purposed in your heart to disclose yourself to me, to disclose yourself to us. And the message is, you're mine. That's number one, you're mine. Part of the message as we move to to maturity is, since you're mine, since nobody can pluck you out of my hand, act like you're mine. I've got things for you to do. I've got good works for you to walk in. I need you in step with me. But none of that works unless you're confident, unless you can own it, that you're mine. So, Father, I just pray, teach us things that we can't learn on our own. And we just give ourselves to you anew. In his name we're praying. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns... May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.